hosted by the Limerick Voice. In this podcast, we will bring you up to date with local, national and international events while we will showcase the best Limerick has to offer. Why not join us as we aim to give Limerick its voice? This week, I'm joined by Ashburn Cup winning manager with UL, Adrian O'Sullivan. Thanks for joining me, Adrian. Not a bother, Ivan. UL lads have to stick together. Happy to do it. Yeah, um, it, like I was just doing the intro there. It feels strange saying, uh, like we're looking ahead to the Camogie Championships starting this weekend. It feels a bit weird. We're in the middle of October. <laughs> we're only just getting underway now. Yeah, it's mad. I, I think myself, my body clock is all over the place. It's like, I think my, my body thinks it's April. Like, you know, <laughs> we're kind of, like where's the championship been? What's going on? We've no no summer days and no no big championship days or anything like that. So you're right. It's definitely unusual hopefully it's a once off we'd love to thank you for being optimistic we'll get back to some bit of normality next year whether that happens or not but, you know, it's hard to see at the moment I suppose but yeah look it is what it is and uh, it'll probably put a maybe a different twist on, on the championship in, in both the hurling and the Camogie I suppose yeah just looking ahead um, you're looking it's completely different conditions to what players would normally be playing in championship wise now I know they might be playing with their clubs during this time of the year anyway but does that, let's say the big three of Kilkenny, Cork and Galway, does this kind of help the other teams get closer to them? In fact, conditions are worse, there might be lower scoring games. Or is the fact that it's so condensed, does that favour the stronger teams with their stronger panels? Well, I think you're right on both counts, to be honest with you. You could, you could very easily argue it both ways. Um, I think like from a conditions point of view, I know, I know in the hurling it's not going to make too much of a difference because I suppose the likes of Parky Cueve, Crow Park, you know, Tullamore, these really nice grounds. The, the, the surface doesn't tend to change too much on them, I suppose, you know, from time of the year. I know the Cork Offaly game is on a place called Rath uh, on Saturday. So this is where you're going to maybe come into issues with Mogi. Uh, we played there in the summer, a team I was coaching Offaly. It's a nice ground, but even that night it was a bit soft. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like heading into October, November. So, look, it's definitely a leveller. Um, from the conditions point of view like we saw in the league there I think Galway went up to Dublin into a tight field in poor conditions and we're, we're lucky to come out of it whereas you know, you'd expect Galway to win by 15 or 16 points against Dublin in a wide open field in the height of the summer um, so okay, I think you're right the conditions are going to come into it but you're also right in that with so many games in such a short period of time that one or two injuries could really cripple one of the so-called weaker teams whereas Likes as you say, Kilkenny, Galway, Cork, their squads are so large and so even. I think everybody can pick a big squad, but you know, the, the, the talent um, levels are just so even across their squads that, yeah, it's definitely going to be an advantage to them um, having such a condensed championship. There's no two ways about it. So I'm just looking here at um, where obviously we're going to be focusing on Limerick. They're in, there's three groups, and we'll go through them all, but we'll probably start with the middle group, Limerick's one. Now they've got. Yeah. They're starting off this weekend against Westmead. 
up in Brook. Mm-hmm. Now, Gasmeath probably coming into this with a bit of confidence after gaining promotion last year. But it's been a bit, it's been a lot of change in that Limerick camp in the last 12 months. There has, I suppose, if we take off the punditry hat and look at it purely as a supporter, um, it looks like a very, very inexperienced Limerick squad that has been named during the week. Um, look, I know ourselves when we were involved with Limerick, I suppose the, the first names you'd be putting on the team sheet would have been Sarah Carey, Rebecca Dalee, Neve McCahey, probably at 6, 9 and 11. <laughs> and then you'd probably be looking to where you'd fit in the other 12 around that, you know, and it's hard to think that there's going to be a Limerick team going out in championship on Saturday without any of those players. Um, and it's just, it, it is a bit worrying, um, you know, for, just from a, from a supporter's point of view, I suppose. Like, you'd always be looking to the club championships and the balance of the squad just seems a little bit off. Um, I think from the four semi-finalists, so the, the traditional big four clubs we've always had in Limerick, your Khalidi, Ahan, Newcastle West, Granabad and Gary, there's only three players from those four squads, from the four big senior teams. Um, whereas if you look at the other end of the scale, I think Bally Brown, who wouldn't have been in the junior final Limerick, have five on it. Um, and Brough, who were intermediate, had eight. So I suppose you're talking those two clubs who are outside the senior level for the last number of years have half the squad. Um, and look, it's, ju- it's just a little bit worrying. Like There's a huge amount of experience missing off that squad. And, like as you said there, Westmead coming in at the back of, of winning the All Ireland last year. Obviously with the Westmead hurlers last year, and Johnny Greville was their coach with me. He's the manager of the Westmead Camogie team. I saw firsthand the level of detail, the level of work, effort that they put into that last year. They're without their captain, Mairead McCormick, did appreciate, but um, like that's a real that's a real banana skin for Limerick. Um, I suppose the the huge advantage is having it in Bruff. Um, traditionally Limerick have always played quite well there over the years when we were involved we had some nice victories there um, in league games and stuff like that but with the current I suppose restrictions it's going to be that little bit more difficult for Westmead it's a long trip down the Hurland Heartland of Westmead is it just north of Mullingar there it's a solid solid two hours down to, to Limerick and a little bit more on to Brough and I suppose travelling in cars and, and all that kind of stuff it might lead to a bit of disjointed preparation which might skew it back in favour of Limerick but that's by no means the banker we would have thought it was 12 months ago and it's going to be a very tricky fixture for Paul and the lads. You know? Yeah, like I was looking at it there, Limerick, they got to the quarterfinals last year for the first time in 15 years and you'd been mm-hmm. ideally saying before this, try and build on that, get back there again. But mm-hmm. like looking at their group, it's, it's a tough group and then they've, mm-hmm. like nine of the team that start against Tip isn't there. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, before, if we, when this draw was made at the start of the year, you'd have been looking and saying, look, Kikini are going to top that group, you would think. Um, and it's going to be a straight shootout between Limerick and Waterford for the, for the second qualifying spot. In the normal circumstances, that would be a difficult, uh, difficult group. Uh, like Waterford have been progressing steadily for the last number of years. Um, draw 10 minutes into the second half of the quarterfinal last year, there were four or five points up on Galway and missed a couple of real crucial chances. And they could conceivably put Galway away last year. Um, so that was always going to be a tricky, tricky uh, encounter. They have a savage, savage forward line. Like you're looking at Beck Carton, who I think is the best player in the country. Uh, Neve Rocket, Annie Fitzgerald, all these players in their forwards are a serious outfit. So that was always going to be difficult. And I think they've managed to keep, from what I can see, the consistency in their panel. They've had a very low turnover of players. New management under Fergal O'Brien. Um, 
So that was always going to be a tricky encounter. And I just think at the moment, unfortunately, Limerick will be seeded third or possibly fourth in that group. And it's just, it's difficult to see them progressing and building on last year, to be honest. Yeah, so Beth Carter would have been one of the players that you'd have worked with in UL. Just how mm-hmm. good how good is she and how big a threat is she for any defence across the country? Ridiculously good. She's the threat. <laughs> um, it's actually hard to describe how good she is, to be honest with you. I think that the best way to sum up Beth Carton is she hits her freeze off her right-hand side and hits her penalties off her left-hand side. So that's... <laughs> That will probably give you an insight into the player, but it's not just the scoring. Like you know, there's a lot of players out there who put up big scores, and that it's just her work rate inspires those around her. Like she, there's no airs and graces about her. She'd be inside in challenge matches with us in November and December in the muck and shit, working as hard as anyone else. So with two all stars up on the up on the mantelpiece, like there's just there's no ego there. She's just a phenomenal talent, phenomenal leader, and just a once in a generation kind of player. Just you know, anyone who's out there, if you get a chance to watch Watford. Probably not in person now this year, unfortunately, but on any of the streams or anything like that. I think the Waterford Kinney game has been streamed live on the Komogi page on Saturday. Just get on and watch it. Like she's just she's top class. Top class. I was gonna ask, um could you take us through, let's say, the, the groups? Because it is mm-hmm. they have they have had to revamp the format a bit this year. So there's eleven yeah. teams in it. That's right. So um it's a little bit of a change, a uh, little bit of a change format. Um the top team um, the top team in the, in the two four-team groups go through uh, to the semi-final and the rest uh, progress into the quarter-finals. Um, so I think it's the, the Tipperary, Clare, Dublin group. Um, the winner of that group doesn't get into a quarter-final. They go into, um, into uh, or into, don't, don't get into semi-final, they get a quarter-final. So look, in group one, you have Offaly, Cork, uh, Wexford and Galway. Um, and look, you don't probably didn't need a, any sort of a, an expert to come on and tell you how that group is is going to probably weigh up even I suppose. Um, it's going to come down to a shootout between Galway and Cork who meet in the in the final round, um, and that'll that'll essentially be a preliminary qu- preliminary quarter final. The winners of that will go straight into the semi final, and the losers will go into the quarter final. Um, the other two teams in it, Offaly and Wexford. Wexford in particular have hit a really low ebb. Um, they're, they're gone to Division Two in the league, and I, think, I suppose a lot of their main players, like the of their real serious teams from over the years, the likes of Ursula Jacob and Mary Lacey and Una Lacey and all these guys, they all kind of retired at the same time and left a real vacuum in Wexford, um, and they've struggled to fill it. Um, but look, they have a new management in place this year. I think they started off the league quite well. The, the vibes around the camp were good. Um, they have a very tricky opener. Obviously, they welcome Galway to, to Inniscorthy on Sunday, and you couldn't ask for a harder start. Um, to be quite honest, you know, um, down in Belfield, now it's a tough place to go. Be down there over the years, it's a long journey down for Galway. Again, look, you know, the disjointed, I suppose, travelling and all the different restrictions and stuff like that. But look, you'd be expecting Galway to get the win on the board there. And as I said uh, there a minute ago, it's Offaly versus Cork on, on Saturday in Rath, um, just outside Burr. Actually a lovely ground in fairness. It's home to Drumcullen, um, GA. A really nice ground. We played championship there in the summer. I'm not sure how hard it will be on the 17th of October. I'm sure it'll be fairly soft. Um, but again, look, Offaly have been a team that have kind of, they're in relegation finals for the last couple of years in league and championship. They have a new manager in Albert Kelly who would have been involved at Rhinus. Um, over the years, there is a lot of talent in Offaly. 
I think they struggled at times to get everyone moving in the same direction. But yeah, look, Group 1, there's no point dwelling on it too much. It's going to come down to that shootout on the 7th of November um, between Galway and Cork, which will be a cracker, um, to see who progresses straight to the semi-final and to see who uh, will go into the quarter-final. So. so yeah, I'm just looking, uh, like we've heard about Cork in recent days and it's it just gets a bit tiresome at this stage, but we hear time and time again clashes with Camogie and ladies football and we've seen a motion there at the weekend that was denied allowing yeah. greater flexibility between the two like it's an awful situation for Cork and I know like Orlar Dwyer Tipperary was caught in a similar situation mm-hmm. before it just seems to be every it seems to be at least once a year every year we hear about <laughs> we hear about clashes and players having to do ridiculous you know ridiculous two games in 26 hours whatever it is it just doesn't mm-hmm. it just seems like with 2020 and everything that you need to be given either say to a players, okay, you can't play duel, which isn't really fair, or we're going to do something for you. But it, it just seems they're doing nothing, they're doing neither really at the moment. It's the players who yeah. are suffering. No, it is. And look, it, it, you're dead right there. It all comes down to the players at the end of the day. You know, when you leave all the politics out of it, um, Cork are looking that they have a number of talented players who are good enough to play um, inter-county camogie in football at the highest, highest level. And unfortunately, the current setup um, doesn't really facilitate them. Um, I mean, to go back to your point about the, the motion at the weekend, uh, we have our own podcast there, the Women's Hurling Podcast, and we've been known to uh, to stick the boot into the Camogie Association at times. But I actually think I, I, I'm on their side in this one. I think, like, I suppose I've been involved in GA administration over the years, and just the motion was far too flimsy to be put through as a rule. Like for a rule, you need something to be clear, concise, and implementable. And I suppose the wording of the motion which said facilitate dual players was just so open to interpretation that it could never be adopted as a rule. Now, that aside, like I think what really needs to happen is that the Mobile Association of Ladies Football need to sit down and trash it out. Um, and like you do have your Twitter warriors kind of full outrage going, oh, why can't they just do it? And, suppose that again shows a complete misunderstanding of the politics that goes on in sports administration in Ireland um, and there needs to be a willingness from both sides to, to to commit and maybe concede ground you know yourself involved in business over the years when you go into a meeting everybody has to leave the meeting feeling like they've won um, and I've had a, have had a little bit of a win but I think my feeling is that maybe the Ladies Football Association just want to have their cake and eat it and aren't willing to, to seed any real um, uh, I suppose portion of the of the of the meeting to the to the Camogie Association, but yeah, look, it's it's a very tricky one. But, but like to go back to your original point, you're 100 percent right. It needs to be about the players. If we have players that are of the standard that are able to compete at, at senior level in Camogie ladies football, we should be able to find a way to do it for them. Um, and it's a sad situation, but um, I don't know. I, I, as you say, it's every single year and kind of over it now at this stage. It's it's just that it just seems to pop up every year. Um, yeah, it just something needs to be sorted out or we lose the dual player. It's unfortunate if you think the likes of Hannah Looney and Libby Coppinger would miss out that they wouldn't be playing in either the football or the or the Ireland Championship. It'd be a real shame. Yeah, it, it, like it is, it is something that needs you do need heads coming together. And as you said, you need everyone um, coming out from meeting feeling like they've got a win or feeling like they're being mm-hmm. they're on an e- even keel. Now, I'm just mm-hmm. like I'm looking ahead again. Like with this, with this Camogie, it's, you know, it's very hard to predict anything, but I'm just looking, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of different rule changes that were trialed in the league that are going forward mm-hmm. in the championship. And I don't think, like even reading them, there's some fairly big ones in there. You know, it's unusual to see them yeah. thrown in first time. There is some potential ones that could cause not controversy, but there's ones there that could... <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right. You're, no, we'll go with controversy. I think they'll take a small bit of getting used to you know. Um I was at a couple of challenge Camogie challenge matches over the last couple of weeks, um, just watching them. And um, the the one thing I noticed was that in the first game, a lot of players were dropping the hurl and um, and kind of I suppose forgetting about the the old rules. But in the second game, it was a lot smoother. Uh, there was no dropping of the hurl, and um, a real positive that came out of it. I spoke to the referee after. I won't name him in case I hang him out to dry, but he was really happy with the kind of the, the leeway it gave him to allow a small bit more physicality. Um, in the game and I, I was just tracking stats for one of the teams and they only got three scoreable frees in the whole game which I thought was a real positive because usually Komogi is littered with frees and there wasn't a word in it there wasn't a dirty stroke in the game it was a great game real open um, and hopefully this is a sign of where Komogi is going with this all going well Yeah because there is another rule in there and I know Komogi players have been crying out for years to allow more contact because we see finals or we see big games and it's just, you know, there might be only a goal and a point scored from play and the rest are from freeze. Mm-hmm. But there is a rule in there about um, about side-on contact. And there, there, it seems to be allowing a bit more physicality each year. And mm-hmm. we've seen last year how good a final we had when the referee was able to let the game go and mm-hmm. just allow the teams to, to go at it and penalise them then if, if they need it. But give them the benefit of the doubt with marginal cause no, def- no you're 100% right and there's three or four referees in particular that I'm looking forward to seeing because they let it go Ray Kelly as you said there in the final last year really let it go I think John Dermody from Westmead referees in the right spirit as well um, Liz in Kilkenny she refereed a lot of challenge matches for us in Thomastown over the summer and just let it go as well Liz, uh, Liz Dempsey and Carl McAllister um, I think has been a real addition to Camogie like he's still one of the top hurling referees, and like just lets them play away like a hurling match, and it just really adds to the spectacle. You know, we, we've said in our own podcast a few times, if they want to increase the crowds and things like that going to matches, the, the product has to be better. For the product to be better, referees need to use, I suppose, a little bit of their own initiative and let the game flow a little bit, and maybe not stick to the rules too much. But um, hopefully, that's a positive from the Camogie Association that these new rule changes will make a better product of it, a better spectacle for people to watch as well. Yeah. Another rule that struck me, and I only I only actually read it properly yesterday, which was about mm-hmm. it's the quick puck out, and as soon as yeah, it's a, it's it's one that you know you could see implemented in hurling going forward because as soon as the Schlitzer goes over or goes wide, the but it's deemed to be fair game to take your puck out. Mm-hmm. That could be one that a lot of teams could be working on their let's say transition from conceding the chance to getting the puck out and going up the other end. Definitely should be. I suppose we saw Hogan and goals for Killadang in there in the Tip County final. The ball was nearly in the centre forward's pocket before uh, before John McGrath had it put over the bar. You know, so like if you have the likes of I suppose Sarah Healy and and these players from Galway, like with monster puckouts. You know, Quiva Burke I don't think is playing with Tip this year, but these kind of players with monster puckouts, they could really, really um, take advantage of that rule and and put their team on the front foot straight away. Um, so you're, you're right, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, it'll make it a little bit more difficult for referees, I'd imagine. Um, especially those kind of, I suppose, 50-50 frees, maybe kind of from 55-60 yards out that maybe they're not sure if they're going to go over, whether they're going to drop in to try and keep an eye on the square. Next thing the ball could be gone over their head. 
40 yards the other way and they're, yeah. they're kind of turn, keep track of the score and move. So it'll be interesting to see how they implement it. But I think it is definitely a positive. It definitely adds to the tempo of the game. Um, so it'll just give a different tactical, uh, tactical element to the Zyle see if teams are setting up their puck outs before the opposition teams take freeze and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully it'll add to the spectacle as well. It's all positive from a rule point of view, I think. You know? Yeah, they do look to be kind of in, increasing the speed of the game and increasing the physicality a bit. Now, there's just one mm-hmm. more I wanted to ask. And I, like, oh, in fairness to the Camogie Association, when they do up these rules, they don't, they don't write a big, long load of text that makes it hard mm-hmm. to understand. It's short and succinct or shortened to the point. But just with the penalties, it says there mm-hmm. are only one player on the line. I presume that's just the goalkeeper, you know, when it's taken penalties. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. No. It's, I don't know, does it have to be the goalkeeper? But my understanding, my interpretation of that is that it is one player. Okay. Um, as opposed to the goalie plus one. You're right, it is a little bit open interpretation, but I think my understanding of one on the line is that it's one player. Now, it doesn't specifically say it has to be the goalie. I'd be surprised if any team switched out the goalie and put someone else in to try and stop it. But um, yeah, and look, that'll be interesting as well because up to now, like the conversion rate in Camogie and penalties was about 10%. You know, it's very unusual to see anyone score them. Beth would hit them regularly enough. Um, and um, I see Neve Ryan uh, banging one in the Limerick Intermediate final there lately. But it's, it's actually quite unusual to see it. So the advantage is always with the defence in that if a player was going running through, you were better off hauling them down if there was a goal chance on, take your yellow card at, at a 10% chance of there being a goal. Whereas now, if it's one on one, um, it's definitely going to make teams think twice about pulling players down unless they really, really have to. So it should skew it back in advantage towards the uh, back in favour towards the attacking team, hopefully, which is what we all want to see, you know. Yeah, definitely. Now we've seen them in Hurling and you know the conversion rate, I don't have the exact percentage, but it doesn't seem as high mm. as what you'd expect. No, the, the goalies kind of up their game a bit as well, yeah. They? Like so yeah. Um no, you're right. Like I suppose I saw a penalty shoot out there lately in Kikini in the intermediate hurling final, Thomastown and Estonian. Conversion rate wasn't that high and you're talking top quality players but like the goalies were, were getting across. I suppose it's still a long way out, you know, 21 yards. Unless you hit it absolutely on the button, a really good goalie's going to fancy their chances, you know. So, um, but I still think like it was impossible to score with three in the line in Camogie. So I think it's, it's definitely given more of an advantage. But I'd be surprised if the conversion rate was any more than 50 50 at the same time. It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see, you know. Interesting to see. Yeah, so there's an awful, like, there's an awful lot going on this year with. There is, uh, yeah. you're, you're just hoping to get through it first and foremost, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, definitely. But um, you think yourself with you think the big three will still be up there, or do you see anyone? Do you see two new teams getting to a semi final, or how do you see it? How do you uh, see the whole thing? To be honest, I don't even know. We, we won't go Sky Sports on it now and try and uh, try and build it up or hype it up or anything like that. I would be absolutely shocked if someone outside the top three won the All Ireland this year. Um, Look, like we have a lot of the Galway players coming through UL through the year, so we can see the talent they have up there. Uh, I was involved in Kilkenny in the summer, and the level of talent in the county is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and Cork or Corkshire, they're always flying. So I think Watford are the best positioned out of all the other teams to cause a shock on any given day. But I suppose the thing is, to win a championship, you're going to have to beat two, at least two, if not all three of the big three, depending on what way you come through the group. And I don't think there's anyone equipped out there to beat the three of them. Um, but if I, if I thought someone was going to pull off a shock, I would say maybe Waterford could pull off a shock on any given day in a one-off game. But I don't know, would they have the, the strength and depth and the consistency to, to go and win a championship? But no, look, it'll be top three, 
Um, and look, without getting splinters, you could throw a blanket over the three of them. Do you know, look, Galway will be hungry to defend their title. Cork don't ever like being down for too long. Paddy will be, Paddy will be driving a mind of a new coach there, Liam Crone, Limerick man. Can you have a new manager in? Tommy Shefflin in as the coach, just fresh off the back of winning back-to-back club All-Irelands with Belly Hale. So you're talking the All-Irelands club champions uh, coach, the Liam Cronin gone in with, with Cork, the traditional kingpins in Galway defending their title. And sure, three serious setups, three serious squads, managements. Uh, it's going to come down to those and it's going to be very interesting. That's for sure. If I am to make you pick one out of those three now, it's so hard to predict, especially <laughs> the way it's gone with week on week action and injuries and sure one injury yeah. could you know go away, let's say you know you don't want anyone getting injured but let's say you know Sarah Durvin gets injured or you see someone yeah. pick up something and it changes everything again but if you were if you if someone almost put a bullet to your head and say which team do you fancy the most or which team is yeah. slightly in front of the others um well I suppose if 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 I was managing any team and someone said to me uh, here you go, here's the three McGraths. Uh, you can add them into your team there and away you go. No matter what team it was, I'd probably fancy my chances of being competitive. So if you take the fact that it's Galway's our Ireland winning team and you're adding in the three McGraths and Tara Kenny, um, they're going to be very strong. Um, I really like them. I like their style of play. I like what they're about. I like their physicality. I like their bit of flair, a bit of toughness in them. They remind me of the Limerick Hurlers in a lot of ways. Um, that they just kind of have that devil may care attitude, a bit of flair up front, well organised. Um, yeah, if I if I had to pick someone, I'd pick Galway to, to retain their title. I just think savage talent, you know. But Jesus, like at the same time, that means you're backing against Cork and backing against Kilkenny. So you can't really <laughs> it's win. tough, but you can't really win. But look, if I had to pick, I would, I would go with Galway. I think the, the phenomenal talent and a really good setup. So yeah, if I had to, that's that's where I go. Fine, I just want to bring it back to Limerick again. It looks like, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth, but it looks like it could be a difficult year for them. If you, if they really, the Westmead one, if they don't win it, you'd say they're in a bit of bother, but if they do win it, you'd say yeah. they should be safe of bottom of the group. So it is like, it is a massive yeah. game this Saturday. No, it is. Look, I think best case scenario for Limerick, they need to win on Saturday. There's no two ways about it. That's, look, in any competition, you just need to win the next game that's coming regardless. It's the next game, the next game, the next game. That game is massive for Limerick. It's massive for the future of Limerick. Come all week. So, very hard to entice people back into a setup next year into a team that's been beaten by Westmead in the Championship. Like, that's unprecedented. That's never happened before. Um, the best case scenario for Limerick is that they win on Saturday, go to Waterford and beat Waterford and end up in a quarter final. That's the best case scenario. It's not inconceivable. It's unlikely, but it's not inconceivable. Uh, worst case scenario is they get beaten by Westmead on Saturday and it falls apart and they have two very, very long. Uh, very very tough trips then uh, against uh, against Waterford and, and Kilkenny and I tell you I've been in that position before you don't want to be going on to Kilkenny with a team that's already out of the championship and a dead rubber um, that's not a nice place to be No it certainly isn't and we'll just have to see how it goes even this weekend um, mm. an awful lot to be played an awful lot of camogie to be played and we all hope that we just get through it really with oh yeah that's, that's the main thing you know yeah we can talk about results and everything like that but you know what isn't it great to have games on and we're looking forward to it and I suppose as long as we get to play the championship and finish it and everyone stays safe the, the results at the end of the day are probably probably don't really matter that much today we just get it played get it watched everybody enjoy it stay safe that's the main thing yeah exactly I think I think you've summed it up perfectly there 
thanks very much Adrian for joining me and look we could end up chatting to you again in the future um, best of luck best of luck with everything you sure you'll be kept busy during this run, run of games anyway across Hurling mm-hmm. and Camogie and everything so thanks for taking the time out to join us you're more than welcome thanks very much In this part of the show, I'll be chatting to Aidan Cormett about the Republic of Ireland's recent games. Stephen Kenny's side have failed to score in the three matches this week, while there's been no shortage of drama off the pitch either. It seems that everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. I'm here with Aidan to talk all things Irish soccer and to see what his thoughts are on Stephen Kenny's side. Thanks Aidan for agreeing to chat with me. Uh, hi Ivan, delighted to be here. Like, just looking looking back on this, it, it feels like a real... 2020 type of results, nil nils, getting knocked yeah. out and penalties. It's just been a nightmare week or so for Ireland reading. Yeah, it's a, it's trying to put everything into context at the same time. Like we were playing a Slovakia side who do have players who are playing in leagues like Syria who are playing at a, that's a much higher level than 50% of our squad who are championship based players. Uh, and at the same time, we shot ourselves in the foot because we could have won it in normal time and then in extra time where we had really guilt-edged chances misses by uh, Alan Brown and Conor Horan. Yeah, I was looking back on the chances that we missed and I can't remember a time where we actually um, carved open a defence. Now, maybe carved open isn't the right phrase, but we actually created chances to score. And this mm. has just been a recurring team, even under Mick McCarthy that we just haven't been able to stick the ball in the net. Yeah, it's been a problem, as people have said everywhere. There's no Robbie Keane in the squad anymore, and when you lose a player who's one of the most prolific in international football history, you're going to feel that, especially when we're a country the size we are. And then you look at like the players we have. like We have Dave McGoldrick, who's scored, I think, two Premier League goals in a season and a half now. And then you've got promising attackers coming through, but they aren't quite there yet. And people have to be patient where they're all uh, jumping down Kenny's throat after five games when we're playing very good sides with, and he's blooding in these young players who have serious potential for Irish football to take us to heights we've never seen in terms of actual playing style and getting results where we actually deserved them, because we did deserve to win against Slovakia on uh, last week. And it just didn't fall our way in penalties, which is a lottery at the end of the day. And it hurts even more when you see Northern Ireland get there. And, well, fair play to them, they did get there. Um, and it's just, everyone's jumping on Kenny, but they have to give him time. They have to let him get his system in place, because just look at what he was doing with the Ireland Under-21 team. And he's blooding those players in now to this side, and give them 18 months and this Ireland team, if Kenny's given that time, could be a very serious prospect. Yeah, I'm just looking, like, even in the last few games, you've been building guys like Jason Malumbi, Darrow Shea got a run out against Finland. There's a mm. lot of potential there, but you get the sense that this World Cup qualifying campaign or the next one coming up, that's very, very important for Stephen Kenny. And although we do have a bit of time to it, he will need to start picking up hopefully just picking up some sort of results and scoring a few goals. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult because you, you're disappointed with the results, but I've never been so pleased with a performance 
And they're not just one performances, they're back-to-back-to-back where I've actually enjoyed watching an Ireland match. And that's not been the case since Euro 2016. Like, we had a good game against Sweden, we had a very good game against Italy, but that was Italy's B team, it has to be stated. And then we gave France an almighty scare in the last 16, where we could have ended up playing Iceland in the quarterfinal and then Jesus in a semi-final maybe. But that's four years ago now. What we've had since then is we've got absolutely tonked in a World Cup uh, playoff by Denmark. And then since then, we've been playing Wales and Denmark t- two, three times a year, it seems, and absolutely getting wiped the floor of possession-wise or scoreline bit-wise. And you're looking at it now like Kenny's improving the players because you can see like watching Shane Duffy, he is a total different player under Stephen Kenny than he was under Mick McCarthy. Like, he is just able to ping those 40-yard diagonals to end the Stevens, or if it's Aaron Connolly on the left-hand side. And it's just so interesting to see, like you're seeing Jeff Hendrick play as a number 10, whereas when he was playing for Burnley and now when he was playing for Ireland, he was non-existent. You, you, you'd forget he was on the pitch. And I think by Kenny blooding in these young lads, it's going to really be a boot up certain people's rears in that Ireland team who've gotten a bit comfortable and you're seeing that in their performances. Robbie Brady, when he gets on, he's trying to make an impact where he, hadn't, he hasn't been consistently good for Ireland since 2016. Jeff Hendrick now, he's got this new licence playing as a number 10 where he doesn't have to do all the doggy defensive work and he's just able to make things happen. David McGoldrick was always phenomenal over the last two years, so it's not really fair to criticise him. And then you're seeing... Uh, the probably like the one thing that people do talk about is Seamus Coleman versus Matt Doherty, but that was taken out of uh, Kenny's hands with the uh, injury for Coleman. So the only way of getting him in the side is moving to a back three, which could work. But I think Stephen Kenny really loves playing with wingers, and I think if you have Aaron Connolly on the left and you've got McGoldrick through the middle, or Troy Parrott and Adam Ida, if they do come on leaps and bounds, which we think they will over the next season in the Championship, playing for Norwich and Millwall respectively. The only issue is that right-hand side of the front three. You're seeing Calum Dauda, who is a very talented right winger, but he's not getting first-team football at Bristol City, and he hasn't been for two years now. So either he needs to get out of there, or he needs to force himself in, because if Ireland are going to play this system where Kenny likes his inverted wingers, Odauda is the only one that springs to mind him or Robbie Brady and Robbie Brady's better in the midfield than he is out wide so one of them really has to make an impact because there's places up for grabs in this Ireland team with the World Cup qualifying campaign looming large now uh, Like I'm looking at that uh, the 10 position and we've had Jeff Hendrick there now the last three games mm-hmm. and I know he's been getting a fair bit of stake but I think he's been working really hard he's been tracking you know when McGoldrick moves out to the side he's coming through the middle pressing the centre-backs do we need, is he the right man for there or do we need, let's say, to try a Robbie Brady in that 10 role? I think there's three people you're looking at. You're looking at Jeff Hendrick, who has, this has been his best period, purple period, playing for Ireland ever. He's just getting involved in all the right places, whereas before he'd pick up the ball in midfield, but like in no man's land, like he's in between the two centre-ass. Like, what are you going to do there? He hasn't got the passing ability of the elite Premier League players. He's very much someone who you get him in tight spaces in and around the box or he can even pop up with a goal if you get him in the right areas. Then you're looking at Robbie Brady, who I think he could play be deployed as a number 10, but I 
there's something like his passing ability is a lot better than Jeff Hendricks and with his set piece livery, I think he's probably better deeper. I would actually like to see him where Conor Horhan is if he could add the discipline to his game because Conor Horhan, I think, is a very frustrating player to watch when you compare his Aston Villa performances with his Ireland performances. But maybe that's just Kenny's system where he wants him to be a bit more disciplined and not give him that ability to just ping ping it about, take a few long shots and uh, get involved with the play a bit higher up. And then I think the, the, the third one would be Jason Knight, who came on for his debut yesterday. And uh, he is a very promising talent at Derby County over the last 18 months. Like You've got people like Wayne Rooney waxing, waxing lyrical about Jason Knight. And he is a very young boy who still could play for under 21s for, I think, two or three more years. And he's off making his first team debut. He's got nearly, I'd say, 40-plus championship appearances in what is a very tough league. It's a lot more technical now than it was five, ten years ago. But he has got goals. And goals from midfield for Ireland, I, I'm struggling to think of a player, bar Robbie... You could say James McLean, but he's a winger, really. He plays higher up than a... Than a it's, bog standard centre midfielder Robbie Brady has popped up with a few here and there but mostly like penalties and that a few free kicks like there's not been a goal scoring centre midfielder from Ireland that I can think of in my lifetime like, I'm looking here um, so by the sounds of what you're saying you're in favour of what Kenny's doing and that he needs time like I'm looking here to make McCarthy's record before this and McCarthy's been it's been weird listening to him on Sky Sports commentating on every Ireland match but he only lost one out of 10 uh, games. But we still had these same problems, scoring goals and creating chances. And we did. I know we drew four out of those. So there was, it's people are, it seems like Irish fans, I don't know what it is. The expectations seem to be very, very high for Kenny and just for, for the team in general. This is what is very uh, confusing with the uh, Irish fans. Like, um, you're looking at it like our brightest periods are 1990 and 2002. 1990 with Jack Charlton, who's the greatest Irish manager ever. Then you're looking, and we had a phenomenal run, getting to the quarterfinal of a World Cup. Like, I don't think that's... People should analyse that. Like, a population of Ireland getting to a quarterfinal of a World Cup in any year is amazing. And to do it in 1990, like, it was amazing. In 2002 was um, Mick McCarthy and... Like getting there, beating Netherlands, that Roy Keane famous tackle. Then Saipan happens, but Ireland still managed to get to the last 16 and lose on penalties to Spain, where they could have ended up. Ireland really would have had a chance to get into a semi final at that World Cup. And then since then, we had a heartbreaking playoff defeat to France. A little less said about that, the better. Then 2014, 2012, we got to 2012 and then just absolutely flopped. 2014. Nothing. 2016, get to your 2016. Wonderful, wonderful experience. We did only get out of the group because of the new rulings. We're third place, but get it um, if you're one of the better third place teams. And then 2018 was a really good campaign for Martin O'Neill, like beating Wales in that final game, beating Austria away from home. Like some really good results there for Martin O'Neill, who I felt was very disrespected by Irish fans concerning the results he was getting. Like, the football wasn't great, but you compare that football with the Mick McCarthy, which followed, not 2002, but the 2019-2020 Mick McCarthy football, which was absolutely turgid. And uh, so Martin O'Neill's very young, fairly criticised. Mick McCarthy 
got some great results. Uh, the draw with Denmark and nearly nearly getting over the line by beating Denmark in the final game of the group, which would have meant uh, a lot more. But uh, And now you're looking at Stephen Kenny, who is playing the best aesthetically pleasing style of football probably for an Irish team ever and it's only just getting started considering look at the average age of the team and the average age of the team will only go down because this under 21 side I know they lost their under 21 crucial match against Italy uh, in midweek but um, they still if they win their final two games against uh, Iceland and Luxembourg they will finish in second place which is at least a playoff if they're one of the better second place teams they'll automatically qualify for the championships which an Irish under 21 team has never done and I think Kenny's only missed the last game of that group so he is a main part of that where they were beating Sweden away from home with the likes of um, Jason Malumbi, Daroche, um, Troy Parrott, Adam Ida, people like this and you're looking like Gavin Bazunu, who's a very promising young goalkeeper so he might be the man to take over from Darren Randolph in a few years who's in first team football at Rochdale on loan this season from Manchester City and he's trained with Manchester City's first team which is no mean feat considering his age so you've got a lot of young people coming through so I think if Kenny is here say five years from now Ireland will be a top 25 FIFA world ranked team we're right now we're 37th and our performance has not been great um, but you also have to contextualise those uh, performances because over the last week we have been ravaged by certain incidents which have been talked to death but it is a factor because you're looking at Aaron Connolly who uh, is a goal threat in an Ireland team which there isn't many of um, you're looking at Adam Ida, who could have made an impact coming off the bench for David McGoldrick maybe in uh, against Slovakia then um, geez, was the Wales game was a bit forgettable uh, yeah, probably the hangover, the, hangover, the hangover of um, losing a penalty shootout probably led to that and uh, losing Kevin Long and having played Matt Doherty as makeshift centre-back who did a good job there to be fair to him and then the Finland game uh, again you're just a lot I think we're missing five people through Covid for that match and um, you're just looking at it's very makeshift um, I think Aaron Connolly came out after the game saying he wasn't happy with his own performance saying he could have laid one on for Daryl Horgan uh, saying he was a bit selfish, but that's going to come with time. Like, give him an extra, like, uh, and and just he's getting game time every week for Brighton. The more game time he gets, the more he's going to get in tune to how he should act in certain situations on the pitch. And his goal tally will go up season by season. And it's on. It's only a matter of time before he does get that first goal for Ireland. Um, I just want to ask you, like, Troy Parrott's a name that I know since he's gone on loan at Millwall, he hasn't been mentioned as much. How important will he be? Not. Not, I'm not talking about like next month when we're playing a game, but how big can he be for the future? And could he be a guy that's better than Connolly even? Uh, I would say, given the hype, I think it's well, uh, well earned. Uh, he before he signed his new deal at Tottenham, there was interest from top Bundesliga sides, and Con- Aaron Connolly went on loan to Luton Town when before he was breaking through. Like, there's a bit of a disparity there. Uh, Troy Parrott was playing severely like he was I think two years below his age group when he was representing Ireland he uh, has got a move on loan to Millwall at the tender age of what 18 
Uh, he was scoring goals in preseason friendlies the week before the season started and then picks up his uh, muscle injury and he's been a bit shaky since then, hasn't really been able to get going, trying to get, recover from this injury. But um, I think he will score double digits in the championship this season. Uh, and then you're looking at their... His breakthrough at Tottenham would have been a lot easier if Mauricio Pochettino would have worked out at Tottenham a bit longer. I think uh, he would have given him more of a chance. Yeah, I he was training with the first team a lot more. I don't think Jose is the guy to be, you know, to be blending in youth. We've seen that in the no. past. He does it occasionally, but only if you're one in a million, a special, special talent. Like, you know, mm. Parrot is good, but Mourinho's just interested in the here now. So I, I would hope he gets... 10 to 12 goals. If he gets more, then bloody fantastic for him. But um, if he gets that, I think there will be Premier League interest for a loan the following season. And from then on, I think people will see the Roy Troy, the real Troy Parrott and how good this young player can be. And you've got to remember his age. Like, we're looking at people like in our squad, David McGoldrick, who wasn't even a Premier League player until the season half go. And we're like, where has he been the last 10 years? He is phenomenal. And then, like, the, the, the options we have now are amazing. And the competition for places is there, which hasn't been there before. People are wanting to play for Ireland now, even though the style of or the results aren't there, because they're seeing what a prospect this side is. And you repeat, like, Callum Robinson's a fantastic player as well. So it's only, like, when you're blending in all these, like, Callum Robinson's still young as well. He's not nowhere near David McGoldrick's age. Or Shane Long's age, who uh, is coming towards the teetering end of his career as a top-level footballer and an Ireland international, because he just can't find the goals and he can't find uh, enough starts in a season. I'm looking at um, just looking at the teams like Northern Ireland and Scotland going through, and you look at it on paper, like we have a better no disrespect to either of them, we seem to have a better squad than both those teams. It, it's mm. a bit, it is like I know we are building for the future, and I, I actually am excited to watch our team, which hasn't been the case since 2016. But there is that bit of frustration there that these two teams who we, I think, can beat and are better than are one game away from the Euros while we are stuck watching them to see to the qualify. Uh, I think context is needed again. Uh, Scotland are going through the Nations League, but they are in League C and we're in League B where we're playing a lot tougher opposition. That being said, Scotland do have some great players and uh, I think Celtic Celtic uh, uh, Brotherhood or whatever you want to call it will probably be rooting them on in their uh, playoff final uh, Northern Ireland um, that one was a tricky one um, they got through um, Bosnia and Herzegovina um, but they're playing a very different style of football like if we were playing we were playing basically the same style of football we were 11 men behind the ball hit them on the break and they're doing it and they do it fantastically well like they have been brilliant over the last five, six years now. And um, they're well worth their spot in the final against Slovakia. Um, but I think um, as a long-term project, ours is maybe more sustainable if Stephen Kenny's given time. Yeah, you wonder what will happen with Northern Ireland when uh, like there is, they have a good nucleus to their squad, but they are an agent team as well. Mm. So like I went into this interview and I wasn't really sure about what we were going, but I'm starting to feel a bit more positive now about about the future and it's just interesting to see how he can build this team and we know what the COVID we know what COVID nineteen and everything if we do have a full deck um home work of qualifying there is the potential there and it is important to note that being in pot two we are just about there at the moment. So 
we there's still a lot of football to be played between now and um, the work, even just the World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, and like you're looking at like the World Cup qualifiers aren't here yet. So those young players are going to get more experience, are going to be more developed by the time the World Cup qualifiers do come around. And then it's all just about momentum. Can you get, instead of like when we played Gibraltar and Mick McCarthy's first game away from home, which was windy and all these excuses came out, still only beating 1-0. If you can get another a Gibraltar or an Andorra and you get him at home and you start a campaign 4-5-0, Aaron Connolly gets two goals, Adam Oida gets off the mark, all these young lads, a clean sheet for someone like Dara O'Shea, and all these young lads start getting momentum. And then you play like maybe someone around the Scotland, Slovakia, and you're like, okay, we need to win our home games and not get beat away. And it's all about momentum in these uh, qualifying campaigns, which is what happened under Martin O'Neill. We got momentum, we beat Germany. And then with the 2018 campaign, which just fell short in the playoff, we had good results against Austria and, um, and Wales. So it's all just about keeping this momentum. Like when that campaign comes around, have the players developed. Hopefully they're... Stephen Kenny asked me to make sure these young lads are at first. He needs to be telling them, you need to play football. So... They need to be get, pushing themselves to get in that first team or pushing themselves to get a loan or a permanent transfer away so that they are playing games so, so that when the qualifying campaign does come round, these lads are developed, they're playing first-team football, they're fit, they're ready to go. Like, you look at Shane Duffy, he wasn't getting game time at Brighton. I know he's not a young lad, but he's getting game time. And you look at the first game against Bulgaria, he wasn't fit at all. You look at him now, fit as a fiddle, and he's pinging balls out, which I've never seen Shane Duffy do. I didn't even know he was capable of doing, but he looks fantastic doing it. And he's still a goal threat at either end. So all about just getting lads fit and ready to go and hopefully the qualifying campaign. I mean, the, the other thing is hopefully we don't get a, a, tough, a tough draw. Yeah, it is, it, it is always look at the draw. And yeah. you nearly take a Denmark or a Wales again. I know we play them so much, but it seems like there's a lot of teams around our level um, that we just have been drawn with. So if we can convert draws into wins or just get just get those little breaks at home, because I I don't want to just say, oh, we're unlucky for our goals, but I do think we need that bit of luck in the final third. And if things do click like that, then you could start to see you could start to see something fall our way and then as you said, momentum takes over. Well, I, 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 I the one thing I love from this Stephen Kenny team and style of play is it's no more plucky little Ireland. That is the main takeaway from it. It's not plucky little Ireland. Like we deserved to win against Slovakia. The Wales was a draw, a fair draw, because no team did anything. And uh, the Finland game could have gone either way. So a draw probably was fair, but it's our mistake at the end of the day. So we got punished for it, and fair play to Finland for that. But uh, it's no more plucky little Ireland. We're carving teams open. We're creating chances. It's no more all oh, get Shane Long on, get the knockdown, or run in behind. There's a lot more uh, intricacy to our play now, and it's nice to watch, but. You'll get people saying, oh, get him out. Well, like, if you get Stephen Kenny out, who are you going to bring in? And who are you, if you're, you're, you're probably going to recommend, I don't know, I, I would assume one of the recommendations would be someone like Chris Hewton, who's got pedigree playing for Ireland and managing the Premier League. Well, his style of football is basically Mick McCarthy's. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know who our Irish fans would want instead of Stephen Kenny. Who are you going to attract? I just think it seems to be always just be blame the manager. But they still have to work with the same group of players, no matter what. Mm. You're, like, you're not going to get like Lena Messi isn't just going to magically appear in an iron jersey and make make all our problems go away. We still have to develop who we have and hope that they're good enough and that they're getting first team football at their clubs 
to go on and push us on to the next level. Well, yeah, and you look at like the the development is coming there because you saw how um, well, RTE has been showing the underage structures because of how well they've been doing qualifying for tournaments over the last four, three, four years, getting to like the semi-finals. I think it was the under nineteen European Championships. Um, uh, before that, I think the under seventeens were doing really well at a tournament where they lost to the Netherlands on penalties, which was. A joke with what that was, the whole, that was the whole goalkeeper on the line. Yeah. And he got a red yeah. card in a penalty shootout. It was uh, ridiculous to watch after he made a great save, which put Ireland on the cusp of qualifying. For, um, but all you look at all these teams, like they're pushing teams like the Netherlands close, Portugal. They're they're doing things against these countries who are far more uh, seen as elite football nations. And this is plucky little Ireland again. So these, I think the coaches at underage have been doing what Stephen Kenny's been trying to do with senior before Stephen Kenny's even got in. So when those people are there, they're not going to have to learn a new style of play. This has been put in place over the last five years. So when they are of age, like the people in the under-21s are coming to, these lads are going to be very well able and capable of playing the style of football that Stephen Kenny wants them to play. I just want to ask you about international football. Uh, it's actually been a really interesting chat, and we've learned. I think I've, I personally feel like I've learned a lot. But should we be playing international football uh, next month? I know a lot can happen in a month, but is the fact that with COVID nineteen rising, but at the same time, Kenny will want to develop his players in the Nations League, and countries are just they're literally on the precipice of qualifying for the Euros. Where do you stand on that debate? I think there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it as, um, well, they're having the Champions League in Europa League, so why shouldn't teams be travel- na- international teams be travelling around Europe? Like it's, just, it's near enough the same thing. But then you also have to look at it from a, so, like a non-football point of view, like, a, a, a nor- like your everyday person kind of view who has no interest in football, thinking, why are these people shoveling around the world, shoveling around our continent, dragging it each year and everywhere? Um, and it's a it's a difficult one, but um, I suppose football is an escape for a lot of people. So if we didn't have this, what what are what are people going to have to entertain themselves? So I think they are actually providing a really important service during these difficult times. Yeah, like you even see with the Premier League, I think when that if that goes again, I don't know. Like there's so many people in this country who watch it, I don't know how they'd be able to handle it, especially if things get worse here. It's a bit it is a bit of an escape when when we need it, and I know non-football fans be saying oh that's you have to cope but it's very hard when you've got very little else going on so and you kind of you you're, you need everything you can get at this stage yeah you, you do you really do but for those people that aren't uh gonna have their premier league then go support your league of ireland team because they need money a lot more than your favorite premier league team right now they are desperately in need of money unless you're dundalk or shamrock rovers it seems yeah, John, I think it's one that's de- it's definitely going to keep rumbling anyway. It won't be the last we've heard of it. Aidan, I thanks a million for coming on. It's actually, this has been a really great chat. and no, it's very enjoyable. Thanks very much. Yeah, we're just looking forward. That is the end of our show this week. Um, thanks to Aidan here and to Adrian O'Sullivan, who we done earlier talking about Camogie and Limerick's Championship campaign, which kicks off this weekend. So thanks very much to you guys. And... We look forward to doing this again next week. We'll be talking more about uh, the Limerick Hurlers resuming their campaign, among plenty of other things. And make sure you check out the Limerick Voice that is launching very soon. So do give us a follow, leave a like underneath, let us know what you liked and what you didn't like. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye for now.